And there have always been the, the dazzling Windsors and the dull ones. Your father... A saint. But dull. Sorry. Your grandfather, too. George V? Deadly dull. At the, at the height of the Great War, when the, the Tsar and the Kaiser and the, the Emperor of Austria were dazzling the world, where was he? He was sticking stamps in his album. His wife... Queen Mary, wonderful. Ditchwater. And so it goes through George V to Queen Victoria and back, an uninterrupted line of stolid, turgid dreariness. Culminating in me. Yes, but... Alongside that dull, dutiful, reliable, heroic strain runs another. The dazzling, the brilliant, the individualistic, and the dangerous. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this show has followed the third season of the Netflix original series, The Crown, episode by episode. We've taken you behind the scenes, we've spoken with many of the talented people involved, and we've delved deep into the stories. Before we made this podcast, I loved watching The Crown, but I definitely took for granted the amount of work that goes into it even before a script is written. When I was first asked to host this series, I was thoroughly excited to be taken behind the curtain to really explore and celebrate all these hugely talented craftsmen and women, both behind and in front of the camera. And I don't know if, like me, you spend hours online searching all the facts and details and pictures about the stories and the people that you've just watched. What I've loved is the fact that I've been able to answer pretty much all of those questions from spending time and chatting to all these people. So having now covered all 10 episodes of the third season, we have a few treats in store for you in this special episode. I spoke with Peter Morgan, writer, creator and showrunner. I also paid a visit to Helena Bonham Carter and we spoke about how she so effortlessly seemed to embrace the indelible Princess Margaret. I mean, I do everything because I love all the, you know, research stuff and excavating and I feel like I'm a bit of a detective. <laughs> I've got a file somewhere, you can look at it. It's really uh, a vision, uh, yes, of craziness. <laughs> but first, I hopped on a train to the English countryside where the Crown were on location at a stately home filming for Buckingham Palace. The house was massive, surrounded by trucks, equipment and many busy crew bodies. There, in a quiet room between scenes, I got the chance to have a chat with the Queen herself, Olivia Coleman. Now, the house was chilly, as these old homes usually are, and Olivia was in full costume, including a very fetching hairnet. and cosy and away from all the madness. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Is that your hot water bottle? It's a plug-in hot water bottle. And if you hold it there, it keeps your boobs warm. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's all boobs. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, uh, thanks. Thanks. Totally obsessed. Because you can plug it in while you're brushing your teeth. It turns itself off when it's ready. And as soon as you want to get into bed, it's ready. Oh. <sighs> I love your net. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I've got a pale pink as well. And pale blue. <laughs> Very flattering on the skin tone, I find. Uh, here we are in a lovely stately home in the countryside, which is doubling up as Buckingham Palace. 
Yes. With squeaky chairs. Yes, sorry about that. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It's expected in a stately home. <laughs> Thank you for the small guided tour through the stately home. Oh, you're welcome anytime. Rembrandt's mother. Yeah, um, I do. I really pay attention when we come to a new tell. house and I love it. <laughs> it's a proper privilege though, going to have a look around and yeah. <laughs> Becoming a tour guide for guests on set. Yeah. Olivia will now take you around. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've enjoyed it so much. What was said to you in that phone call when this was first kind of floated around? Or... I think it was my agent who phoned me and told me. And she was trying to be, because it was loudspeaker in the car, and so she didn't know if, who was listening. She was trying to do it in code. <laughs> she said, you've been offered, um, you know, the, the a, a queen. All right, what? Play? No, no. Uh, television? Right, OK. Uh, it was a bit like transient charades over the phone. <laughs> What, the crown, Lindy, the crown. Well, yeah. oh my God, the crown. Yes, yes, please. I was very uncool. And then I went for, I think, a coffee with some of the grown-ups. Yeah. Um, and again, very uncool. I think they thought, because Helena was cool, wasn't she? And she said she wanted to see a script. And Peter said, well, Olivia didn't ask for a script. Well, I'm not Olivia, said Helena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Why did you think you said yes? Why did you jump in? <laughs> Um, didn't really think it through. I think I, <laughs> um, I, I, I never wanted to like it, which is weird. I felt like it when I first saw the posters everywhere. I thought, don't make me like stuff. It's yeah. like when everyone says, you've got to watch that film, it's the best film. Yeah. Or read that book, it's the best book. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> and because everyone said it was amazing, there were posters everywhere. I thought, that's, that's pushing it too much. Just no, no. And then, of course, I watched it and obsessed within seconds <laughs> obsessed with Claire Foy and uh, so when they said you know the Queen well yeah um, but actually it's I know actors will always play you know parts that have been played before by other actors that's mm. what we do in theatre all the time but it's a, that was something maybe I should have thought more carefully about <laughs> and um, and it's it is quite a responsibility and people are very passionate about it in all directions and I found that quite hard because to me it's an acting job and mm-hmm. I'm having a lovely time. But people are so opinionated about it. It's a piece of fiction, a piece yeah, of drama about some extraordinary human beings. Yeah, not a documentary. And uh, once you're in it, you realise that uh, everyone has an opinion about it and that's quite difficult. Do you love her? The Queen? Yeah, yeah I totally love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you love her before you started it? Never really thought about it. But um, yeah, I do now. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So almost no one alive now doesn't remember her being on the throne. She's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. she's extraordinary. Yeah. Did you speak to Claire about it? Only briefly. Which is what, what do you think? She went, it's a really happy job. Went, Great, well, that's that's all I... Yeah. Life's too short to have a really... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got the I, opportunity to do a job. You don't want to do it with miserable people. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, especially when it's this long. Yes, exactly. Can <laughs> exactly. you imagine? As soon as you're, sort of, you're on board, they fill up your inbox with... Every image of the Queen that, that's been ever been recorded, and so you get sort of ooh, it's like an injection of information. Yeah, and I, I do always sort of maintain that if the script is good enough, it's all there. Yeah, and our job is to put a voice to what the writer wanted. Yeah, if the script is bad, that's a whole other thing. Then then you need <laughs> yeah. to really weigh in and do some homework, try and save yourself. <laughs> this great team of people that you have around well, you. Exactly. Half your job's done, or three quarters of it, before you even step out of the makeup van, really. It, it makes your job so easy. Mm. 
I wish I could come and hang out in the makeup truck because I hear it just sounds like so much fun. Like oh, it's with so you, much fun. Helena and Tobias in particular, I believe there's yeah. disco lights. Oh yeah, yeah. And bad so playlists. I bought Sue, uh, Sue David, my makeup artist. I bought her plug-in disco lights, and because there's no real light in there, you can turn all the lights off and have a disco lights and have a proper rave. It's so much fun. Just but, a real pick me up after lunch. <laughs> But Helena's playlists need attention. Oh, bless her little heart. She is a wonderful human being. But um, she's good at many things, but she's not so good as being a DJ. I love that. I love the idea of you and Tobias texting. We text each other, especially in Ben Daniels, very naughty, texting each other while Helena's playing various funny songs. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Skip. What was the first thing you shot? The breakfast scene, where I'm buttering the toast loudly. That was quite fun. We had to reshoot it, though. Buttering it too loud? Or? I don't know. I, th- I think maybe I was buttering it in a sort of more like me way. Non-royal than a, way. In a non-royal way. I don't know, but they did have to come back to it. What's your relationship with the corgis? Oh, I love them, but I do love anything furry. And um, <laughs> oh, one of them's really well behaved and one of them just couldn't give a shit. It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> and uh, sit, sit, sit. All right, whatever. Just, <laughs> she just, no, runs off. Do you have to form like a bit of a relationship with them before you start filming? I just, I have biscuits in my pockets. <laughs> Try and make them love me. <laughs> That's what I do with my children. Yeah. <laughs> Lego and biscuits in your pockets at all time. Yeah. I spend hours after each episode just kind of going, did she wear that? It's got these flagpoles of things that you remember from news reports or... Yeah. And you go, oh, did that... Yeah, because now we're we're certainly, or for for you and me, we're into sort of stuff I can remember. Yeah. Is that weird? It's a bit weird. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, from speaking to, you know, Peter and stuff, he's got so so sensitive about that, knowing that we're... It's done respectfully and with love. I have really gotten that sense that um from speaking to everybody about this not a bubble that you're all in but this kind of world that you're all in together making this is something really special yeah it's a long job uh I mean not compared to you know sort of 40 years on a soap but for me it's a long job and it's so lucky that we all get on when the family are in I get genuinely excited to play games we're all sitting in the sitting room and, you know, playing parlour games, particularly Josh. Oh, yeah. What's the oh. what's game that you... Fives. Fives, yeah. That's which, brilliant. Yeah. I'm doing... For those are listening, clenched. I'm showing you how to do it, which uh, is not very useful. It's very, very good for a podcast. The, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, and he's invented Game of Games, which is really fun. Okay. We spent hours. <laughs> I was doing that. Hours doing it, laughing a lot, not really concentrating. Um, I loved hearing you talk about how excited you get about um, the end part of the day when it's all a bit of a panic yeah. I love it it's my favourite bit Why? Ooh, you really wake up perk up I've got to get it done got to get it done oh it's so exciting it goes back to my days of you know low budget telly and you've got 23 pages to accomplish and uh, <laughs> half an hour to do it in I love it yeah come on we can do it one shot everybody look the same direction <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Jason for a second because oh. this relationship that that you have with Jason but also Elizabeth had with you know, yeah. with Wilson, that was a genuine friendship. Yeah. We don't know what went on behind those closed doors. No, apparently from, from pretty good sources, uh, went to the Prime Minister's go to Balmoral every year. And often it's a little bit sort of 
it's not the most fun. And um, <laughs> But whenever he would go, apparently they'd go for their meetings and there'd be peals of laughter and then a drinks trolley would come in, <laughs> would be called for. It just got on really well. I love that because yeah. everybody assumed that they wouldn't as well. Yeah, yeah. And but she's apolitical. She doesn't say you know, which way she, you know, she feels, but uh, and it doesn't matter, I suppose. They just, as characters, just really got on. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And Tobias. I loved as well talking to him about how he, he likes to try things and sometimes he'll like the kiss which is, oh, yeah. oh, which was just which wasn't scripted. Yeah, and, and his little grin as he walked away, which I didn't see until I watched it. Ooh, <laughs> naughty Philip. <laughs> it's, it must be interesting for you as an, as an actor that you've got a you're playing this character for, for over a certain number of years. Yeah, that's quite nice. But then also work with different directors on yeah. the same project. Yeah, is that weird or is it nice? No, it's it? quite nice. You can also, you know, if, if you're going to have an early bath or not, depending on who's directing that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm, I'm quite badly behaved. It's sort of going, oh, do we have to do it again? <laughs> but this one... I do take my job seriously, I promise. Well, we can it tell because we sound. watch it, OK? <laughs> um, wanted to talk as well specifically about the, the closing scene in the carriage. I, they do a lot of those shots of just one being in a big space or a little enclosed space. And a really sense of a sense of loneliness and yeah, yeah. not being part of uh, what everyone else is doing. And also the shooting the back of the head uh, really gives an impression of just yeah isolation, which I think is done very cleverly. Have you got a favourite scene that you've shot so far from season from um, season three? I know you're doing. I know you're in four, and it's hard to kind of go back. But is there something that you look back on from three? I did love. I found it hard because it's being a bit bit mean with with Josh mm-hmm. in the bedroom after the yeah. uh, when he comes back from Wales. And I did love I loved being able to film all the Porchy episode because she was out and outdoors and happy and with the horses and um, it was nice to be able to smile. And I also loved that scene with with Tobias when he comes to give her a kiss and that's so moments of lightness are always yeah lovely even though. Just one isn't liked, but it yeah. was really fun to get your teeth into. Not having a voice is something all of us have to live with. We have all made sacrifices and suppressed who we are. Some portion of our natural selves is always lost. And that is a choice. It is not a choice. It is a duty. I was a similar age to you when your great-grandmother, Queen Mary, told me that to do nothing, to say nothing, is the hardest job of all. It requires every ounce of energy that we have. To be impartial is not natural, it's not human. People will always want us to smile or agree or frown or speak. And the minute that we do, we will have declared a position, a point of view. And that is the one thing as the royal family we are not entitled to do. Which is why we have to hide those feelings, keep them to ourselves. Because the less we do, the less we say or speak or agree or think or breathe, or feel, or exist. The better. Well, doing that is perhaps not as easy for me as it is for you. Why? Because I have a beating heart. A character. A mind and a will of my own. I am not just a symbol. 
I can lead, not just by wearing a uniform or by cutting a ribbon, but by showing people who I am. Mommy, we have a voice. Let me let you into a secret. No one wants to hear it. I love the um, the scene at Margaret's birthday party as well with everyone around the table. Oh. She's just desperate for everyone to, you know. And it's that's vicious, isn't it? That mm. sort of. But it's a great scene. Yeah, it's great. She's just, and they're all like, "Yeah, oh, isn't Tony the best?" And you're like, <sighs> "Shut up! What are you talking about?" Yeah. Can't you hear what she's trying? Is she, listen. Yeah, yeah. But you know that you've sort of all seen that, haven't we? Go, no, he's he's really not that bad. Don't know what happens behind closed doors, mm. but it must be awful when everyone's going, "Oh no, come on." What do you think their relationship was like as sisters? From what we can, you know, for what we found out, yeah. they would adored each other, you know? Yeah. And there's, they, only, they were the only two that knew what it was like in their family and, and I think they had a really lovely sort of childhood by the sounds of it and there's books that don't say that, they've said that and um, they were schooled together, they played together, they really mainly had each other. Not a huge group of people. Yeah. I think they were very devoted to each other. Yeah. It's that line in the bedroom scene where she, where you say, you're the most important. Yeah. Oh, I love that scene as well. That's that. I think it's one of my favourite. And for me, it's quite hard to, once there's a bit of emotion, I'm quite, I find it quite hard to do it daintily. For the record, I think there are many things you're good at. Name one that's actually meaningful. Being a sister. No need to humour me. I'm not. Of all the people everywhere, you are the closest and most important to me. And if by doing this, you wanted to let me imagine for one minute what life would be like without you, you succeeded. It would be unbearable. Thank you for your time, particularly in the fact that you're filming and you've just rehearsed a scene and you're just off to shoot one. We really you're appreciate welcome. your time. Thank you so, oh, so much. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming all the way over here. I'm just going to go and buy one of those oh, lovely... get one. ...muff warmer things. Maybe not <laughs> the right choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> Hand warmer. It, like, um... No, I'll leave it. Stop, stop. stop. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with the incredible Olivia Coleman, but we couldn't finish off this season without spending time with her enigmatic on-screen little sister. It was a chilly London morning when Helena Bonham Carter invited us into her beautiful home to have a good old natter about Princess Margaret. Helena, thank you for allowing us to come to your wonderful house and your island of a couch. <laughs> it is a big couch, isn't it? It's comfortable. Yeah. And we're going to be here chatting about the crown yeah, for, for about days. three months. <laughs> Can we please? Because I could. Thinking about Princess Margaret and if you really try to hone in on her as a person and trying to get to the person, mm. the real person and, and kind of how you, what you thought of her. It's very difficult to to get to the heart of somebody who's so phenomenally well known mm. and has such a received narrative. Yeah, and everyone seems to have an opinion mm. on them, even though they've never actually met her. So I, I had the same problem with Queen Mum in a way. 
because I had to, and Elizabeth Taylor. I think the only way, I mean, I do everything because I love all the, you know, research stuff and excavating. And I feel like I'm a bit of a detective. <laughs> you go through sifting that. information and... Um, Tim used to always go, oh, for God's sake, you're not writing an autobiography. You're just pretending <laughs> to be somebody else. No, I need to get yes, to Yes, I the, want to get I to want the all core, the bits. The bits, exactly. Yeah. And I love any new bit because it gives you a choice. Yeah. And always the best bit in life, I find, is the possibility of something. The actuality always ends up, it's like the Christmas day is sometimes actually knackering, but the possibility <laughs> of Christmas and fun, you know, it's the anticipation. Possibility and opportunity and... The more of that is, that's where you get your kicks out. Mm. With Margaret, she's a gift because there's so many different sides to her. Morgan said, because we had lunch before and I was a bit umming and ahhing because I am a Gemini and I need to know I've made exactly the right decision. Mm -hmm. When I arrive, I'll be fully committed, but I'll have to sort of speak away the doubts before I get there. And he said, the thing is with Margaret is that you can play this scene 10 different ways. But they'll all be appropriate. She was so changeable and she was so multifaceted and but would switch gear very quickly. I went through a whole different levels and my attack. I've got a file somewhere you can look at it. Crazy. It's really a, a vision, uh, yes, of craziness. <laughs> but but I read the biographies. I met the friends. The friends are the crucial because they're the yeah. ones who really knew her. So you can go to someone who actually knew her. And in fact, Anne Tennant's book, she was, she almost wrote it out of frustration, although her own life is as interesting as Margaret's, but about Princess Margaret, because she's so sick as a friend of people making judgments about her, when very few people, and people who, who'd never met her, or met her for a second. Yeah, you know, and, and made a judgment. Uh, and made a judgment. And mm. that's that's the... The curse or the, the the point of, you know, of being, the curse that comes with being famous in in the sense that people will think, oh, I've met that person. And if you're not on for that split second, then in their, their heads, that's what you are. And um, I think Margaret was definitely uh, very erratic in mood. And she was utterly honest. She didn't put on a facade. Unlike the Queen Mum was brilliant at putting on a facade of niceness. Yeah. But Margaret she wasn't great at through everything. She floated <laughs> and she put on a great act of softness and marshmallow oh. calm and underneath was pure steel. <laughs> um, my aunt was great help. She's a graphologist, so mm -hmm. she analyzes handwriting. Oh wow. And she did um she did both people's handwriting and that's what she said about Queen Mum absolute key to her was that she was a great at being famous because she could put on an act and she was she could do being queen she could do being famous a lot of people who are famous can't really doesn't sit well with them yeah and they're too vulnerable and margaret was vulnerable i thought there was a lot i did a lot of thinking that she was very like her father you know she had a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. and the queen mom and the queen are more of the same ilk yeah what did your aunt say about margaret's handwriting she saw, I've got it somewhere, the analysis, beautiful handwriting. She's very creative. She's mm. very clever. She was very cultivated and cultured, but she could see how she lost her way as she got older, probably through drink and through emotional stuff that hadn't really been sorted. My astrologer, because I've got various witches that I go to, she was amazing. She was the one who said no matter who she was, she would be incapable of not saying what was in her head. 
Let's be a bit more like that. What, saying what? Just not editing. Well, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. You wouldn't have got very far. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true because you see those scenes where... You have to be diplomatic. When, you know, she goes to ask for, oh, let me have purpose, let me... I've found something that I want to do. And and then the Queen speaks to Philip about it and he's like, oh, we don't know what she's going to say. You know, it's that thing. She's a liability. Yeah. What's so nice is that she's incredibly entertaining Mm. to watch. And, um, but, um, you know, when she was alive, a lot of people really loved to dislike her. And now she's got this posthumous affection. Your main point in being royal, as a member of the royal family, is to be seen. So you have to be visible. And if your one job, really, is to get from the car to wherever, whatever you're opening, whatever you're doing, whatever public event, to the door of that place. You must go as slowly as possible because you have to maximise the amount of people who are going to see you. Hence, they move so slowly. So that was the first thing that we all had to get right. It's like, let's move. They don't rush, which is very high status, but also it's a thing so everyone sees Sees you. And it's almost like if you did it, it's quite hard to do it always dramatically because it's such a snooze. (laughs) You have to energy, you need energy and acting and, you know, scenes to keep, because you don't want the audience to just fall asleep (laughs) on you. But at the same time, you do have to slow right down because they are just so much slower. The tempo of them all. If you look at them, I've never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You watch the Queen getting from A to B. It's like uh, it's not because she's old, because she's as fast as anything. But in public, you move slowly, and sometimes it was hilarious with Margaret, who was incredibly quick-witted. Yeah. But she'd move sometimes. That would bleed into her daily life. Like she'd look around very, very slowly. <laughs> it's like, yes, ma'am. Do you want to have tea? And it would be like. There's always a pause before, a dramatic pause, and then, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is it an absolute luxury as an actor to have the opportunity to play a character for such a, a long mm. space of time? It's perfect. It's perfect for us actors now to have this proliferation of telly where suddenly it's like character development rather than, yeah. you know, quick story in a big action movie. But the biggest luxury is being being written by somebody who's so brilliant. So you as an actor often get the credit for actually what's written on the page. There are some extraordinary moments throughout this season. That that whole episode and, you know, that those scenes with um, Linda B. Johnson. That's um, fun. Yeah. I mean, of course, I've had various people already. It's funny now. It's quite exhausting. But it's... All the friends that I went to are now texting me saying what they think are apt, what's not, you know. And I'm going like, of course, I'm championing your dear friend who's gone. But a lot of it is fiction. So I've had one go like, Lyndon B. Johnson seemed absolutely absurd. And you go like, well, of course they didn't sing, you know, (laughs) and do dirty limericks. And she would never have seen said vagina. And I go like, well, (laughs) no, but this is inspired by it. It isn't. But also... I think she'd be, knowing her, having fun. Yeah. She had a sense of humour about herself, I think. Yeah. Huge. So she would have, wherever she is, I don't think she would have minded that much. She would have been like... But, um, well, I don't know. I'd hate to presume. I love when you're singing around the piano. I love that scene. What, the... Just one of those things? Yeah, it's just going... Here's hoping we meet now and then it was great fun. 
But it was just one of those things. Thank you. But I love that song. I love the opportunity to sing. I love doing it. And I just thought this is... She's a bit like me, that we're not great singers, but um, she's probably better than me, but uh, we just love doing it. <laughs> and we enforce everybody, <laughs> subject everyone to listening. Oh, it's sing like no one's watching. That's what yeah, we all, we all should is. do more of. Yeah, totally. we should. Yeah. And she I, loved her. I mean, she really would sing and play to the small hours pretty much every night. That's what Charles, actually, in real life, when she died, did a lovely piece to camera, which was a real tribute to her of how yeah. much he loved her but said the best time that I'll always remember my aunt Auntie Margot at the Keys cigarette whiskey and that was where she was happy fiddling around with the tunes it's just great she should have been at Ronnie Scott's she'd have loved it <laughs> <laughs> yeah Margaret the jazz singer yeah. that was yeah, yeah she did she just loved it <laughs> When she meets Roddy and, and also Mr. Treadaway is brilliant. In he's that. brilliant. I mean, yeah. He really that's... is. He really gets, captures him and he's yeah. got the manners and the charm and the love and the affection, warmth. Yeah, but he's also up for it. Yeah. It was, um, he's up for it and he knows what he's doing. And uh, when I, I met the real Roddy here, actually. Did with, you? With Harry, yeah. Oh, wow. And he's lovely. He's really a lovely man. And he said, we both really found each other at the right time when we were both lost. And um, he said she gave him a bracelet in the shape of a life jacket. And that's what they were for the, each other for eight years. She said, we were both sort of rejects. This is what he said from our family in a way. We felt whether that was right. We were like the black sheep or the ones that didn't, hadn't done quite well enough. Yeah. We both felt not good enough. And so we helped each other. It was genuine. Nice hands you've got. Have I? Hmm. How nice you've not noticed. So nice when a man is unaware of his best features. It's so sad when a lady hides hers. Did you mean these? No. What then? Your smile. It's amazing to have that access to, you know, the truth of that relationship. Yeah. I felt very lucky, but I also think it was a real tribute to her that every friend was very happy mm. to talk to me for hours about her. And I think for them, it was comforting because they could bring her back into the room, yeah. you know, and talk about, and not be defensive because they knew that I wasn't out to, I was out to love her. Yeah, respect know. her. Yeah, totally respect her. It seems only right to end as we began, back with writer, creator and showrunner Peter Morgan. I thought we'd start with the impossible, trying to get him to choose his favourite bits of season three. I mean, you are like asking me to choose between one of my children, you know, because uh, by the time you've finished every episode, you, 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 you've tried to fall in love with it, you've done everything you can to fall in love with it, you know, so... Mm. Um, they, they, they all get a lot of attention. But my favourite episode is probably episode seven, the one about 
the the, the moon landing directed by uh, Jess Jess Hobbs. I, and I, I say that only because it's so unlikely. And sometimes you know you look at an episode that you've written and you wonder where that came from. And and that's kind of nice when you mm. don't know where it came from and you're slightly baffled by where it came from. It's a wonderful kind of exploration into Philip yeah. in that in that episode as well, and you know, and, and him having a moment in his life where so many questions are raised following the death of his mom and all that kind of thing as well. It's and kind of what she leaves and questions him on, you know, his faith and his belief and what drives him. It's um, yeah, it's it's a really powerful episode. So you were saying you don't think about that at all. About what? About the next season. <laughs> what season? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I pay no consideration to the. I mean, by that, by. I mean, the truth is, by the time we've filmed episode ten of season three, I will know what the first episode is of season four because I've been working it out in my head. But um, in fact, I've probably written it. Yeah. No. No. We are. We're well on the season four journey now. What can you tell us about season four? I've tended to use the time span of political change uh, as the as the rule with which to chop up, as it were, the sausage. And, and so the particular sausage that season four <laughs> is <laughs> is uh, Margaret Thatcher. And, um, and so it starts in 1979. So we end season three and we skip James Callaghan. So I'm sorry for not representing all prime ministers, but... Um, we go straight to Thatcher and we go to 79. Her um, twin, as you described them. Her twin, yes, the Queen's twin. I mean, Thatcher and the Queen are born within six months of one another. Two very similar and yet very different women, you know. So, the, And I think I, I do think if you have a, a, an arc or, or a central conflict at the heart of season four, it is Thatcher and the Queen and who really is the head of state. And, Can't wait. Yeah. Well, you've done an amazing job. It's brilliant. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thank you for thanks. your time. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Excellent. Yeah. Now that we're on the 11th episode of the series, I am quite sad, if I'm being honest, but I have been thoroughly impressed by the detail and dedication that goes into making The Crown. Hugely grateful for the opportunity to speak with so many brilliant and entertaining people and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. From Netflix are Ray Vota and Katie Hunder. From Left Bank Pictures are Georgina Brown, Florence Haddon Cave and Andy Harries. From Something Else are executive producers Steve Ackerman and Chris Skinner. The producers are Shannon Vandermark and Zoe Edwards. Mix engineer is Josh Gibbs with production assistance from Michael Dale, Rosie Marotra and Grace Laker. Main title music is by Hans Zimmer and all other music is by Martin Phipps. Special thanks to Annie Salzberger, Daniel Janes, Una O'Byrne and Rachel Ellis. For those listeners still looking for more Crown content, do check out Robert Lacey's second companion book to The Crown, which is out now. Check back with us in the new year for more Crown news. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>